Um, speaking of being organized, we even organized this podcast so that we would have the two evening standard columnists together at the same ah, look time. Look at that, there he is, the man himself. <laughs> so, Simon, Simon Collins, Hi guys. thank you for, uh, for joining us. We're doing a, a we, we've got the smoothest transition so far. Um, we got about 21 <laughs> left, so I'm not sure they're all going to go this smoothly. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Simon reminded me when uh, when I told him he'd be following you that we got the we go from the evening standard to the evening standard. So. <laughs> Those are the kinds of standards we set here in the evening. <laughs> Alan, it's been a it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us and for your your constant support and and friendship and 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 generosity for helping Gooners versus Cancer. The the things that you have done for us over the last few years have literally raised thousands and thousands of dollars for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and. And I can't thank you enough for that. So, um, no, well, it's a brilliant, a brilliant cause, Mike. And well done to you and Owen, everybody involved for putting so much effort into it, and especially for this uh, this marathon that you're undertaking. I, I, I don't envy you. So, well done, well done for that. And you know, I'll give you plenty of energy to get yourself through it. Thank you, and I've and I've got some Red Bull to to, to help me out as well. But yeah. uh, you know, my goal is to have ex Arsenal legends not envy me. Uh, and, and I'm clearly pulling that off in, in, in stage right now. So uh, the, the chat loves you. Mark says goodbye. Uh, everybody else, uh, thank you so much for your contributions and, uh, and, and the questions. Alan, take care, and we'll talk soon. All right. Cheers. Cheers, Owen. Simon, Thanks, Alan. take care. Bye-bye. Cheers, Alan. Cheers, man. All right, Simon, you got to follow that now. Um, yeah, man. So tell us what you're playing, Dave. What was your favourite match? <laughs> I think my biggest crowd I played in front of was about four people. So uh... <laughs> we could do something that nobody, I'm sure, ever does, and ask you about transfers. <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 Madison news. No, uh, <laughs> real, real quick, uh, everyone, please do, go to GoonersVCancer or yeah, GoonersVCancer.com. Also, you can go to GoonerOpenMike.com um, if you want to have a chance to jump on. If you want to ask Simon about transfers, if you want to ask him about his perfect hair, I mean, you know, just be respectful and 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 you can join us. So, uh, so GoonerOpenMike.com is is the is the link to join us backstage, and and we encourage you to certainly do that as much as possible. Um, and we will be drawing. We won't be drawing at the end of this hour, so you've got two hours to get your donations in for the next drawing, which is a uh, another Ruth Beck art print. So, Simon. Um, you pointed out yesterday Aaron Ramsdale's exclusion from the EFL Cup game that they played, uh, which they won and kept a, uh, kept a clean sheet. And and my thought process was, you know, it isn't necessarily about cup tying as much as it is that, like, maybe he just sucks. Like, is that a possibility? <laughs> well, I'd be slightly worried if he's not getting in um, <laughs> Sheffield United's cup team. That would be a concern for me. Um, but I, th I think it was an interesting thing because – well, the, the noises that are coming out at the moment um, certainly aren't that Arsenal are going to be signing two goalkeepers and getting rid of Leno and getting Ramsdale another one. It, it sounds more like, um, you know, they'll be bringing Ramsdale in ideally to charge, uh, to compete with Leno and both be fighting for the number one shirt. And then perhaps at the end of the season, Leno then moves on because he didn't sign his new contract. And if you are planning to do that, and we'd, you know, Arsenal had signed Ramsdale and he couldn't play in the cup games for the first half of the season. Uh, that wouldn't be very ideal. So I do think there was something in it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because I don't know about you guys, but it, that there's a lot of areas that Arsenal need to do, but they are 
you know, one injury away from having either Runison or a 19-year-old kid who's oh, never right. played a professional game, you know, in goal. So um, it's concerning. It doesn't sound like anything's going to happen before Friday. Um, and that, for me, the goalkeeper feels like the absolute priority at the moment. But even it's as, as, it's as simple um, as somebody... Um, uh, I keep doing this and forgetting which podcast I listen to, but somebody on a podcast somewhere said this. Uh, so there's your credit. Um, it's as simple <laughs> now. It's as simple now as as Leno testing positive um, and mm. ha- having to go in isolation, and that just leaves us in the absolute muck. But Simon, this window in particular, I find it quite funny that people are talking about the impact of the pandemic and and what it's having on this window and and, and in particular at Arsenal for sales, you know, players like Hector Bellerin, Eddie and Kadia, people that we thought we would be able to move on for some sort of fee and the the reason for them not moving on seems to be the impact on the market. But yet when we go for a player like Aaron Ramsdale, the price is being quoted at £25 million, which seems slightly inflated in my opinion. What do you think it is about this market that on, on one half, it seems that a lot of players haven't even got the offers for the option to be moving on, whereas players like Aaron Ramsdale are going for £25 million. It seems like there's two sides of the extreme. Yeah, there, there's definitely... Um, it, it's an odd market because the only deals that seem to be being done are either expensive marquee deals of the likes of, you know, Sancho... Grealish, Varane, uh, even Ben White, you know, these big sort of expensive deals. And then there's this huge void and you get to sort of loan deals, free transfers. There's no one really knocking around in the sort of 10 to 20 million market, which is actually where Arsenal want to do a lot of the, a lot of their business. So that is, that's one of the issues they're getting. And also I think they're struggling from the fact that the only, um, the only people who seem to have any money are the Premier League clubs because they've got the broadcast revenue from the Premier League, which you know has tied them over. Whereas everyone on the continent, I mean Barcelona, probably the prime example, is you know extremely cash strapped. There's not really any money being spent. And the last thing is is also I think the players, possibly partly down to Brexit and the uncertainty over what the regulations are going to be like that. The players that clubs are targeting, even Manchester City, are English British players. Uh, and it's inflated what was already an English tax because of homegrown status and squads. I think that's got even greater now. And if you look at the signings that people have made, you know, Sancho, English player, Grealish, English player, Ben White, Ramsdale, there's a concerted effort from these clubs to be targeting English players. And it's, um, it's raising the price a lot. But I mean, Ramsdale's probably the prime example because, you know, Sheffield United are going to make a profit on a player after they've been relegated during a pandemic. So, I mean, that <laughs> that sums it up more than anything else. And there also only seems to be one bidder. There doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be anyone else trying to we, buy We it, seem to so. bid against ourselves frequently. What, what about <laughs> the, the thought that, you know, you'd think that Sam Johnstone would be equally as, as talented, equal profile, mm. lower, lower price tag? I mean, are West Brom not looking to sell? I think Johnson would um, would be willing to leave. West Brom would be willing to let him go. Um, I think the issue with him is that he's only going to leave, from my understanding, is if he's going to definitely be the number one. I don't think he's got real any real appetite to go and be um, even competing for the number one. I don't think he really wants to wants to do that. I think he's 28, 29 now, um, because there was an outside chance that West Ham were going to go for him. But in the end, 
I think Ariola agreed that he would fight with Fabianski and, you know, one would play the Europa and Cups, one would play the league. And I don't think Johnson's really got that appetite um, to do that. And I think he'll probably end up now possibly get back in the West Brom team and just play out the season, then move on a free. So, but I mean, I still think there's, there's other keepers out there that you could, um, do you, you not think, so? do you not think Simon that it's slightly strange that they seem to have this obsession with a homegrown goalkeeper in particular, rather than maybe going for a cheaper alternative that was available like Onana, um, mm. from Ajax and maybe distributing that homegrown quota throughout the team elsewhere, you know, maybe like a homegrown right back or a homegrown central midfielder or there there really seems to be an obsession with that goalkeeper the goalkeeper position in, in particular yeah and and i think it was matt ryan who did an interview with uh, i think it was fox australia that was that was aired today and he said his representative sounded out arsenal to see you know if there was a chance of him coming back he was very popular arteta liked him and, and they got the impression that he wasn't top of the list and they wanted a homegrown keeper um it's interesting because I mean, the way that clubs normally get round it is that their third choice keeper is a homegrown keeper. Chelsea have just signed Bettinelli. Um, I mean, City had Scott Carson. Um, I think before that, I mean, had Richard Wright and people like that. So that that is normally a way you get get by it because there is absolutely no point wasting uh, your third choice keeper not being homegrown. Also, I think they're going to have uh, a Conquo who won't take up a spot in the squad because right. he'll be under twenty one. So they they've done that there. Um, but they've obviously decided that this needs to be one of the areas where they have homegrown. But I, I agree with you. <laughs> I don't think, I'm sure it's, it's, it's obviously not the only reason Arsenal want to sign Aaron Ramsdale, but it shouldn't be that much of a reason that you overlook other targets. And I don't know with the Yonana one, whether, because there definitely was interest there, whether other clubs have come in and he's decided he wants to go there. Um, but it seems that Ramsdale is their number one and they are determined to get him in. Um, I must confess, I haven't seen enough of him. Mm-hmm. Um, people, I remember when I first started out this, the Evening Standard, which is obviously a London paper, I um, was chatting to the guys at AFC Wimbledon and he made the team of the decade, I think, even though he spent one season on loan there because it was an, th- an epic, th- se- an epic yeah, season where I, they I, stayed up. I think, yeah. to be fair, has he won player of the season at every club he's been at for yeah. the last three years? So, But whilst sticking with the theme of, of the homegrown quota, thing because that is a theme that we're seeing throughout this window Simon is that 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 we seem to be going for these English talents and another one is James Madison and we've already discussed sort of the the lack of um creativity within this side and and that obviously is a key key position now I've been seeing conflicting reports from different people saying that Martin Odegaard has been and remains to be the, the top target for Arsenal in this window. And then other reports saying James Madison. From your understanding, which one do you think that the club seem to be sort of trying to push forward with more? I still think um, if push came to shove, that they would they would go for Odegaard, in my opinion. I, I feel like um, just because of everything, you know, the benefit of having seen him in the team, in the league, in the dressing room, you've already had those six months. Well, and it's quite split on Twitter, actually, but I actually thought he was good for that period of time. I think he had an injury which hampered him. Mm-hmm. But there was certainly enough in there to make me think that, you know, right, this is a player that, that Arsenal to keep. And also, you know, I actually went back the other day just to look at the, I think it was the final day of the season where Arteta was quizzed about it. And he's very cagey on transfers, but he was pretty open there about as he's ever been about wanting to keep Odegaard 
at the club. So I can't see why in the space of two months that would dramatically change. I think Madison is a very good, very good alternative. And I think it's better Arsenal being in this position where it's probably different to the goalkeeper situation where it seems to be right. It's Ramsdale or bust. Whereas at least here, there seems to be some sort of planning to say, look, we like both these players. Let's, you know, keep the situation going on. Um, the Odegaard one, I think they're struggling with because, um, because the manager changed, he was given a glimmer of hope that at the end of last season wasn't there. And they're kind of having to wait for that to play out. Um, but I think he would be slightly ahead of Madison in Arsenal's <laughs> choice, but I mean, not much in it because they're both quality players on that. Where does Eve Basuma fit into all this? I mean, the, the, the trail has gone quiet on that. The only, the, the only direction that, that links between Arsenal and Basuma seem to be going are Basuma wooing Arsenal <laughs> rather than the <laughs> other way around. And, and, and it, you know, if, if we're not interested in him, it would imply that we have bigger targets and that could be the Madison link. Although I don't, know that they're the same type of player uh you know it that just kind of seemed like one of these things that's too logical not to not to make sense and especially with growing concerns about a guy with the profile of thomas Partey suddenly becoming injury uh mm. you know injury uh prone i hate i hate that, that, that concept. <laughs> but so i mean kind of combined question you know what what are your what are your uh your 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 what do we? What do you know about the the Parde situation? Is this a, a lingering injury, or are we likely to go many many weeks into the season? And is Basuma still even being considered as a transfer? Yeah, uh, Party doesn't sound um, certainly doesn't sound as bad as they feared when it happened. Um, he had a scan the Monday after that friendly, um, and to do his ankle ligaments, he had one again. I think it was on the Saturday or Friday of that week. Um, so the hope is that's weeks rather than longer than that. Um, I think that by the looks of it, they've got, got lucky with that one. Um, a bit like Liverpool, I think with Andy Robertson, have got lucky that that's not as bad as it looked on first viewing. And the midfield one's an interesting one because it's all gone pretty quiet since, since the Xhaka U-turn and him staying there. Um, it's all sort of dried up and whether that's because, Arsenal are focusing on the targets, uh, whether it's because they now think they don't need a central midfielder. I'm not so sure. There is um there is a lack of space in there. If you've now, you know, if you're keeping Jacker, if you're keeping on then if you've got the Congo, if you've got party, there's four spots, two positions. Um, How many? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Aziz, if Aziz doesn't go on loan, he's the fifth in there. So I mean, the Basuma one, I, I felt, again, I agree with you, it felt like a sort of deal that would happen because he was so different to what Arsenal had. And that was why I liked him as well. He was a different player to what they've got. But it's gone pretty quiet. Um, and also, I think Brighton are now in an exceptionally strong position where they've obviously banked £50 million from us. <laughs> and um, We should know, have asked for the two for one. I mean, you know, yeah. what kind of negotiator does... I mean, I know we don't have Dick Law uh, working on this anymore. <laughs> We're supposed to have been better at this, but but do, do you think now, Simon, that uh, like as you mentioned, there are players like Granite Jacket seems now to be remaining at the club, and and the Hacker Beller and links have have dried up. And although there is still time left in the window and and opportunities for them players to move on, um, do you, putting your fandom hat here and taking your your journalist hat off for a second. What's your opinion now of going into a season with 
two senior players who ultimately look as if they've been told that they're surplus to requirement and that they can be moved on and those opportunities have now fallen short and now they're basically stuck here. Uh, how do you feel about going into uh, a season with players that were already being targeted for being sort of subpar to the, to the, to the standard required and now, now they're going in under pressure again? Yeah, I think there's certain players where like the the Xhaka U-turn and the situation staying, I think is fine in my opinion because I didn't get the feeling with that one that it was one where um, Arsenal were forcing him out the door. It was more a situation of Xhaka saying, you know, a bit a bit like I feel is a situation with Leno where I don't get the sense it is, you know, Arsenal saying that we want to get rid of you, get out the door. It's more the player saying, look, you know, I'd be open to trying something new and Arsenal saying, yeah, we'd possibly be open to trying something new. Um, I do the I do have concern with some of those players. I kind of feel you know the the Bellerins, the Williams. Um, I just I just fear for having a similar situation you had before, where you get to the end. I'm, I'm more fearful of having the bloated squad where you don't get players out the door, and you have the same thing you had last season, where you have too many people there who aren't happy because they're not playing, and God forbid you have players who aren't even registered. Um, <laughs> And I think these are around the club. Like, yeah, like I, I think these are different personalities. I think Bellerin is Bellerin. You know, is a, is a very good a good person, also very good off the pitch. But I think you can't you can't you also can't be in a situation where you're so bloated <laughs> and have these players. But I I do think, and the feeling is among people that the market will slowly pick up towards the end of the window. And and I I even think with certain, some of these players, um, you know, if if it's not ideal selling someone like Bellerin with a year on his contract next summer, but even if he goes and plays somewhere and he's plays, you know, 20, 25 games, I think that's better than Arsenal keeping him for a year and him playing like, you know, eight, 10 games or something. I just don't his think value gonna is not going to increase in a year. It is conceivable as much as I don't like this happening. Uh, it's conceivable that Jaka's value could grow in the year. Mm. It is not conceivable that Hector Bellerin's value will grow in the next year. And there's, so those are two different situations as much as, you know, I want both of them moved on, and 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 don't like Jaka in the club. And this is the first. Mark your count. It, it's it's nine twenty one now UK time. It's the first of many times during this potathon where I'm going to be r- racking my head about Jaka returning to, to Arsenal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Bellerin one is is different though. I mean, if if we don't move him on, we either play him when he shouldn't be played. Or we just continue to have an asset that that goes stale and loses value. Do 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 you think it's going to boil down to the fact that Arsenal um, are going to have to surrender to the fact that this market isn't maybe as mobile as they anticipated, and that they may just have to give in to the fact that they're going to have to let a lot of players maybe leave unknown, although it was not um, ideal. But uh, as I mentioned before, I think. As Arsenal fans, we're going to find it very difficult to wrap our heads around the fact that we have no European football at all. And we were a squad last season that failed to register players for competitions. Our squad was that big. And and going into this season where you say games are going to be so limited, the need for these amount of loiters to be hanging around London Colney is just not there. And it just isn't mm. good for dressing room morale. So do you think maybe coming towards the end of the window, they may, ju- may just give in to the fact of pushing some of them guys out on loan? Yeah. And I think the players, I think would be, you would think would see the same situation and realize like, wow, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not really going to be playing here. And, and you make a good point about the, the squad size because I was I was looking back through uh, you know West Ham last season, Villa to an extent as well. You only re- if you're if you're just targeting the league, which Arsenal predominantly will, other than you know try and have a cup run. You only really need sort of 17, 18 first team players. You don't need to be massively rotating. Um, you only sort of need 18 first teamers, and then you can fill the next you know three, four slots in the squad, 23 slots with, um, you know, your Balogans, your, you know, your young players coming through. You don't need a massive bloated squad. And I think it's going to have to be a bit of, um, a bit of give and take from both sides. One from Arsenal to accept that, they, you know, they might have to loan someone like Bellerin as opposed to selling him. And also from other players thinking, all right, okay, I'm going to have to accept this deal rather than hang around here, here for a year. But I think, I think most of those players, you would think they'd get out of the door. They're probably going to struggle with someone like Kalasinac. Um Can't see, haven't massively seen his name linked with anyone really. Some sort of Schalke don't want him back again. <laughs> well, I think that <laughs> was that, that was an interesting one because I think if they had stayed up, I think <laughs> they probably would have kept it. And, and when they announced um, the release list at the end of the season, or they didn't even they didn't name Kalasinac in that because they were sort of determined to find a way to keep him. And then I think it was a week or so later they put a statement out saying, look, we financially just couldn't find a way to do this because, you know, he's a player who's on £100,000 a week um, and he's entitled to be paid the final year of his contract, the same as Mustafi, Socrates, all those people. Um, but then, you know, you throw in there's Lucas Torreira, another player I think would be difficult to shift. But the likes of, I think, Bellerin you could get a move for, Maitland-Niles, I think someone in Ketia. Um, so I think these these deals to me still feel like things can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been incredibly painful for everyone, uh, the club <laughs> included fans that nothing has really gone on, but I, I look through most of the leagues ins and outs and there's not really any deals going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think, West, don't think West Ham has signed a player, um, you know, un- other than the, the big high ticket deals, we're not seeing um, huge amounts of money change hands. And speaking of huge amounts of money, Shkodan uh, Mustafi. McCarthy. McCarthy. I'm thinking about how I'm going to stay up later. Um, he's currently uh, employerless, uh, mm. as, you know, as all of the European leagues are starting. <laughs> so, oh, you almost had your spit take. Yeah, right? and I think I know what you're going to suggest. I don't even fucking bother saying it, man. No, we're not no, taking No, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, like – <laughs> As bad as the market is, he can't even find someone to, to, to pay him. I mean, is he probably asking too much money from a club to come in for him on a weekly <laughs> basis, or, or is free too expensive for a guy like Mustafi? I mean, I do wonder if, you know, talking in a wider point, if everything that has happened with COVID and, you know, the financial situations we've seen with clubs, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bar, obviously, PSG, who seem to seem to be getting along just fine. Uh, are we going to see a sort of, you know, a collapse in, or certainly a reduction in the wages that are being paid to players? Because clubs aren't renewing their contracts. And when they go look for a new deal, there's no way, you know, when Kalasnats' deal runs out in a year's time, someone else could be like, yeah, yeah, we'll pay you 100k that you were being paid before that. You know, it's just not going to happen anymore. So I, I do wonder if it will cause a bit of a reset in, in what clubs are paying. And it was the Barcelona accounts were showing before they moved Messi on. You know the the wages were 105 percent of the you know the turnover. turnover. 
Yeah. Which is madness, you know. If you ran, you ran any well, normal business like that, PSG of the of the of the legitimate yeah. turnover, it's probably four hundred percent. Probably or does need, like football probably does need a balancing and a reduction in the wages that are being paid because they are just yeah astronomical crazy fees. But um, all of these all of these leagues, with the possible exception of La Liga, have have more and more in common with Owen's mom, which is that they're becoming so top heavy that <laughs> that we. I mean, there's just such a massive difference. I'm sorry. My mother's a saint, you bastard. Your, your mother is a saint. Uh, but but yeah, wait, wait, you're to, no, but Mike, you're talking as if as if this is some sort of foreign thing now. Like like it's mainland Europe and La Liga and Italy and France. No, I'm saying but, all but the leagues, including But the you look at look at look at this season now, okay? And you look at Man City have spent hundred million on Jack Grealish and they're looking to spend anywhere between a hundred and 20 to 160 on on Harry Kane and then you have Chelsea who bought Timo Werner and Kai Havertz last year and now they're going and spending just ju- just below 100 million on Romelu Lukaku I mean like have we ever seen I, I was thinking about this today we can never catch that at all but is this now the strongest Premier League in terms of those top three to four teams, the strongest lineups that we have ever seen within the within the Premier League. It feels like that top four is becoming a top four again to me. Um, <laughs> certainly, from the, the, we're not in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the top four that finished it last year. I look at I look at City. You know, like I struggle to see how they catch. I look at Chelsea. Um, I mean, you talk about squad depth. I mean, theirs is theirs is incredible. And even in that friendly they played at the Emirates against Arsenal. You know, it was a bit of like a who's who of like, I know Arsenal talk about needing to get rid of dead wood, but Chelsea is like Barbar Rahman, Zappa Costa. <laughs> I, couldn't believe, these, I couldn't believe that. All these players, oh my God, I can't believe they're still at the club. Like, right. Yeah. Oh, who, who's Kennedy, the one? The, you know. the guy that played for... Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. No, the the guy that scored a bunch of goals for them and and for Belgium or or, or the Netherlands. Oh, uh, Batshuayi, Michi Batshuayi. Yeah, Michi yeah, Michi Batshuayi. Yeah, oh still God, he's still a Chelsea player. Yeah, <laughs> on you know on on a six figure salary. Um, you know, Emma, they've got three left wing backs. Um, I forgot the 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 Malangsar. Yeah. Uh, who we wanted as a starter for our team last year. For yeah. Demba, yeah, Demba Ba came out for the second half of that game. Was <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, I was, I was chatting to, I was chatting to someone um, this afternoon, and I was saying, you know, if Arsenal do sign Ramsdale on the you know, talk of sort of thirty million pound fee, you know, he's going to be the sixth most expensive goalkeeper of all time. And like, you know, he might be the number two. And and the, the guy made the point saying, yeah, well. You know, Chelsea have got the most expensive goalkeeper of all time on their bench. <laughs> it's still even there. I mean, I mean that that that's one of the worst transfers of all time. I think that you could yeah. you, you could say that. I mean, he cost even more than uh, than Pepe did. And, and, mm. uh, and, and that's a, but there is that gap with the top oh, four. I think, but the only one who I feel, and it's the model I think that Arsenal need to look at if they want to break into that is the Liverpool. Um, the Liverpool yeah, precisely where you. You know, you you sell at the right time for big fees, and you buy players who are of a of a younger age demographic that you then you can then sell them on. I mean, it, obviously, Salah is their star man and brilliant, but a bit like with Coutinho, I kind of get the feeling if the market in Europe was different and someone came in with a huge bid for Salah, Liverpool would back themselves to sell him and rebuild that team because their scouting and their buying and selling is so good. And that's the way you've got to do it if you're going to challenge these guys with. And the, big, and, big the team, and the teams that seem ready to enter that space now are Aston Villa, who who got you know, big money, 
you, you big money. You could argue they might have overpaid for Danny Ings, but like they, you know, they're they're. I don't think that they'll suffer that much from the loss of Jack Jack, Jack Grealish, considering how they're replacing them, and uh, Lester, who hasn't, unless I'm mistaken, they haven't really had that Coutinho sale, that Kane sale, that that Grealish sale. They've just mm. bought really, really smart. Um, Le- Leicester are good at the, the the one thing they do do is they will sell, they will sell, and they will sell. You know, but they'll sell for what they want, and they only ever sell one player a summer. Mm-hmm. So you know, the one summer they did Kante, drink water the next, Mares, Chilwell. So they're they will selling, sell. You. They're selling five million pound players for thirty five to yeah. forty million. They're not. They're not selling academy products for a hundred million like like Grealish. They're not selling. Mm uh harry kane from you know for 100 million pounds they're not doing that but they're consistently so like you just said they're consistently making 10x profits on players Mm. that they took a chance on and not selling too many of them to destabilize the team yeah they and they've always been that way in the market i think they those five players harry mcguire is the the exception yeah i think i think those point i think they made quarter of a million pounds of profit on those five guys um, you know, Mares was bought for like 250k, went for 60 odd. Maguire, huge money. Ben Chilwell, little academy guy. But they they set their stall out and they say to you know clubs coming in, they said to United all summer that summer, this is the fee. You know, we want 88 five million pound Maguire. We're not accepting any less. You pay that or not. And they also say this is the only player that's leaving. So everyone in the squad knows. Okay, if Maguire's going, then I'm going. Then then I'm not going. And it's the same in this summer. If if they do sell anyone, it will be Madison and none of the other big players will go because they do not want to disrupt what they've got. And they've got an owner who is incredibly wealthy and incredibly invested emotionally in that club as well. So they've got the stability of knowing, you know, they have don't that, have to be pushed they around. Have, they, they have people making the decisions in the club between Brendan Rodgers and their ownership mm. that are just brilliant at what they do. And that, I mean, it, it's, it's maddening to see how they are turning into everything that we used to be here when we had David Dean and wanted to, and want to be going forward. But, uh, you know, hard work pays off and you can't, you, you know, there is a consequence to being dumb uh, and we're feeling it right now. So, um, see, I, see to- with, I, I, I have one quick one and this might be, look, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. That's not what I'm doing. Okay. But, but Simon, <laughs> preface so many of your comments. <laughs> No, nah, fuck this guy. But I'm good to say this now. No, I know I'm an absolute dick. I know, I know that for a fact. Everybody does. <laughs> but Fabrizio Romano, <laughs> Romano. No, 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 says, no, 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 no. Let's not go. Let's not get started there. No, man. No, I'm just asking a question about transfers, okay? Because there was he put out a tweet near uh, at the opening of the window that William was a hundred percent leaving. Uh, I'm sure he repeated that a couple of occasions, but. Mm. Is there any more news on that in terms of like, is there still the potential for him to, to go or does he seem maybe set to stay with us for next season? Totally it wasn't like, that bad. <laughs> I feel like, um, yeah, I I mean, he was left out of the squad, wasn't he, for the Spurs game, not in it, and there was no real explanation about why that was. I don't think Arteta was, was quizzed on it. Um, yeah, that for me kind of feels, I, I get the sense that Willian kind of knows the move hasn't worked out. Arsenal knows the move hasn't worked out. Um, but it's like the other deals, you know, how are you going to move move this guy? And I think I, there was some talk the other day, wasn't there, about a move to the Middle East. I, I, I asked someone at the club and that was, you know, rubbish pretty much instantly. Um, I don't think Willian would want to do that. He's always openly said he would want to go play in the States. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the only real place I can see it happening um, where you just, you know, you cut the cord and you say, look, there's no transfer fee involved. You can pick up his wages. You can take him. Um, I, I, I think both him and Arsenal would be pretty open to to moving things on this summer. I can't deny that deal went terribly wrong. No, um, I, even, I, I, even, I, even, if, even if I thought at the time it was actually not a bad piece of business, which I got... The same, but you, you, would, you, would, you would have to say as well, wouldn't you, that like, if that is the, the, the situation, fair play to Willie and for the fact that... Because the most likely thing is, let's be honest, is that he would likely leave mm. for less money. So for a player of his age to sort of take the moral high ground and, and maybe move on... Um, just for the sole purpose of playing more game time. That, yeah. That's quite admirable. I, I think for him, I think he still has aspirations of playing in um, that World Cup next December time, isn't it? Uh, and Brazil have shown that they will, you know, there's, they are no not not opposed to picking ageing players. I mean, Danny Alves was playing in the Olympics mm-hmm. in 38. Thiago Silva still gets picked for squads. So they, they will, if you're in form, they will pick you no matter what your age is. And I still think that uh, Willian has some sort of aspirations to play in that, which might be a bit of a carrot to try and help Arsenal move him on. Rather Danny than Alves just... showed up in my son's U19 team last week. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't understand what he thinks he's doing. <laughs> it's crazy. So uh, cu- couple, a couple, a non-related Arsenal question. I noticed that you, uh, you had an interview. I mean, the, the, the team that you probably cover most outside of Arsenal would be Watford. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, back back in the Premier League again, and you had a conversation recently with everyone Arsenal, uh, every Arsenal fan's favorite uh, Watford player, Troy Deeney, um, and it was it was a, it was a very interesting article. It was really more about kind of his return to the Premier League and and a pretty heavy battle with COVID uh, over the last 18 months. I mean, I, I hadn't realized that, uh, and it sounded like he was in pretty bad straits, but. Uh, during that interview, which, you know, if you want to expand on it, uh, please do. But did he happen to mention anything about his status as the only person ever to take a penalty that was saved by Petr Cech? <laughs> I mean, I, I was in the building that day. I have a video of it taken from the stands. And no, it's not facing my face celebrating. It's actually of the of the penalty save. But, uh, I mean, all, second only to Anfield 89 in my history as an Arsenal fan was that moment. But, uh, I mean, t- t- I've always been fascinated with Dini because – because I didn't think he was off base with his Cojones comment, actually. Mm. And I know he's uh, he and his son, especially, are an Arsenal supporter. So yeah. that is not a bad dude, despite maybe some missteps in the past, legally and otherwise. But I mean, tell us about that interview. What was the uh, what was the tone and the and what? You yeah, um, I mean, I, I sometimes think the only thing that you can you can accuse Dini of is perhaps being too too honest with his. Yeah with his opinions but as as a as someone who is interviewing him that is exactly what you want you want someone to let their guard down to open up to tell you the truth to tell you what they're thinking even if sometimes you'll say something that goes oh look you know don't put that in please take that out you know um but he was um in that interview we, we chatted for about sort of 40 45 minutes because he was bringing out um he has brought out a new podcast um which has got a you know vast mix of different people on it um and he just sort of brought up the thing about about COVID. We were just chatting about what life's been like in the social distancing age, and he sort of just dropped in and said, "Oh yeah, no, you know, I had it, and um, you know, I've never spoken about this before." And opened up for sort of twenty twenty five minutes, speaking about everything he went through. Um, and as I was sort of hearing it all, and you can read it on the pieces, I think it's still pinned as my the top of my Twitter. Um, 
I was just sort of like, why don't you tell anyone this? <laughs> like, it's, A, this is, you know, it's horrible what you've been through. B, it explains why you were massively struggling during Project Restart. And C, it would probably help people understand, you know, the dangers of this of this virus that, that we're living with and, and why we need to be cautious and, and safe with everything you do. And he, perhaps because it's the status they has, is that I didn't want people to, you know, think I was making excuses or, you know, feel sorry for me. He just He just wanted to wear it. And he is an exceptionally strong person that will take the criticism. He'll take the abuse. Uh, you know, he still gets it from Arsenal fans over the Kone's thing. Um, but as the more I've, I've interviewed him, I think two or three times now, and I do find him a really, I actually really like him. I find him really honest, really engaging. He's probably my favorite person I've interviewed. Um, and he tells it like it is. And I thought his Kone's comment, yeah, it was, was pretty bold. Um, I'm not sure if I would have personally said that on, you know, broadcast national TV, but we've all probably thought that at times about about the way Arsenal play. Um, well, I, me- I remember that game, and and I mean, I, re- I remember I was in Chicago on work that weekend, and 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 we did a podcast after that game with Danny from the Burkamp Wonderland, and mm. and we just basically Andy and Danny and I went over, but like like, okay, he's he's a jerk, he's, he's, you know, no one wants to hear that, but but if you watched the game that they had just played. He was absolutely right. I mean, mm. like it needed to be said as much, you know. And and trust me, I took every joy in bantering him when he missed that penalty against Petr mm. Cech and, and so on. But you know, he, he pretty much exposed a you know a pretty obvious underbelly of Arsenal. So you can't really hold that against him too much. He's, he's no stranger to, to saying controversial things. I mean, did you see what he said on the day that Watford went down on the interview straight after the match? Do you know, and and do you want to know what? That's something that's completely dying out. I think that with all the media training that players receive now, they can often come across as robots. And I think it's actually quite refreshing whether it's appropriate or not for daytime TV or whatever you think of it. It's uh, I think it's quite refreshing for a footballer to be so honest. Yeah, I massively agree with you. And uh, there are very few, um, you know, people you speak to who aren't heavily media trained. I, I actually felt with the England squad this summer, um, I mean, they are media trained, but I do feel they were given the license to, you know, ex- express themselves and get mm-hmm. an insight into their personality. And they, you know, they came across as very young, likable lads who you wanted to root for, you know, people like Marcus Rashford, people like Bakai Saka, you get a bit of an insight into them. And when they show their personalities, you realise, wow, these guys are actually, you know, really inspiring, inspiring people, particularly someone I think like Saka. Um, I love that video that Arsenal put up the other week when they mm-hmm. saw, you know, the wall of support he had got from fans all over the place, they'd organised it for him. And you could actually, you could see what that meant to him and, you know, how it actually touched him. And just by opening the doors a little bit and letting these guys express themselves, I think you'll find them much more likeable and relatable. And perhaps, you know, even actually some of the abuse and stick they would get would not be as bad because people will understand that there is a human at the end of that. And it's the same a bit, I think, with Xhaka. He did one press conference last season where he opened up on all the abuse he'd received and everything. And, I remember coming away from him thinking like, wow, that was that was incredible. He just properly opened himself up there to the room, to the media that were all gathered there. And you come away from it with a different perspective. So I totally agree went, with and you. And he went that. back to being a dick. Um, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm going to have to do this before I, before I praise these people. Sorry, it's just natural. Sorry. What did, what did you make of, of the, the crowd at White Hart Lane given 
Bukai Osaka at Stanton Ovation um, yeah. in the North London Derby. What did you can, make of that? Can I just say, because I'm interested in your thing, it, yeah. in your, your, your feelings about that. If Kane had missed the fifth penalty uh, against Italy and lost that and had a you know a difficult story, and I understand the, the racial differences between mm. the two and the abuse that they met, but I don't think Arsenal supporters at Highbury would have done that for a Tottenham player who had had a rough time. Maybe uh, uh, Army at Lee, Lee judges won't even celebrate a goal that can't score. Well, well, and, and Harry Kane wasn't the right example. <laughs> I, it, it, it probably would have yeah. been more appropriate to say Jaden Sancho um, mm-hmm. because of the similarities in, in the abuse that they received, because that is what a lot of the support had to do with. But I don't know that Arsenal fans, I mean, am, am I underestimating our fan base? I'm not sure uh, we've done the same thing. I would have, I would really have impressed liked, with would have, that. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. And I would have liked to think that Arsenal fans would have done the same. If it was, you know, a player in that same situation of, I think you, you've got to take in the racial element to it, the fact that he's a teenager, uh, you know, the, the stage that it was on. Um, I would like to think that the, Ars- the Arsenal fan base is, particularly those in the stadium, I think you, you might have seen something, you know, similar to that. And, and I thought it was fantastic that the, the Tottenham fans... Yeah. did that for, for Saka on his first game back. And I think it was, was Stuart McFarlane, the, the Arsenal photographer who tweeted about, he remembers when there was a, a minute silence or a minute's applause, I think it was, or held for David Rowcastle at, at Highbury when Spurs were there and it was immaculately you know, done. And, and an example of how when something like that happens, you just put aside you know, rivalries and everything like that. And I think for the, the Tottenham fans to do that um, was really, really nice. And particularly when it is Saka's, you know, first, it's his first game back, just got mm-hmm. back from the tournament, just been at training. And to have that at your rivals, don't you? Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought that was really impressive. And a classy, classy touch from, from Tottenham, which we obviously don't always, <laughs> don't always say. But, um, no, you know, it won't, it won't like last, that. but it was nice. And, and, <laughs> and, and Laurie, I think, is right. And, and Laurie agrees with you that, you know, the, the fan base, as and I hate that word because it's so mm-hmm. generic. Uh, but the fan base, you know, online is not the same as the match-going stadium. And yeah. I, I think if you if you had switched uh, Saka with Sancho uh, the first time that Man United came and Sancho came on as a substitute, I I think that that the the people in the stadium would have mm. done the same thing. At least I hope so. Um, so uh, so yeah, the Kane, Kane was not a good example, as as <laughs> uh, points out. So um, another question. Um, Speaking of Saka and, and our young guns, I mean, we are are so we've come we've become so reliant and excited by our young guns, the you know Saka and ESR and so on. Um, do you see the potential for a regression in any of of those that have already made it to the first team? And and alongside that, you know, who do you think is the next person to break through? I mean, we've got you know Norton Cuffey, we've got Aziz Olayinka. Charlie Patino. I mean, there's a lot of names out there that are not yet out alone. Are there? Who's the next ESR? Who was the fault? You know, who mm. was the next socket to break in? Yeah, I mean, starting with the, the first bit on terms, of, do I think any of them are going to regress? Um, I don't think, don't particularly not with Saka and Smith Rowe. Um, I feel like that Euros. I know it obviously ended badly for Saka, but. The confidence he should take from performing on that biggest stage, particularly in you know a game like the Germany game, should make him feel you know ten feet tall. And he was already carrying that Arsenal team for a lot of last season. Um, and I think only the the issues and difficulties at the end. I think it's only going to spur him on and, and make him come back stronger. Smith Rowe, from what I've seen him in pre season, 
just looks like he's filled out a bit of, you know, he looks a bit more like he's grown a bit, put a bit of muscle on. Looks a little bit um, more like Owen's mom. <laughs> <laughs> she played number 10 because Arsenal need another one. No. And we're only two hours and 46 minutes in. <laughs> um, and I think that, I think the way that Smithrow took the number 10 shirt wants to be the main man. Again, I feel like this, out of all the young players, I feel like this could be a huge season for him. Um, but there is a reliance on the young players and, and I'm writing my preview for the season at the moment and, and it's kind of around the theme of this was supposed to be the big rebuild, but we're now just banking on the, the young kids doing it again. And in terms of the next ones who could come through, um, the most excitement, uh, I think at the club is around Charlie Patino. Um, I think Charles Watson Gold did a piece on him a couple of days ago, maybe earlier this week, um, with some of the guys who discovered him, some of the scouts, and they were absolutely raving about him. Um, you know, it looks like an absolute quality player. The one who, if he doesn't go on loan, uh, and I'm kind of disappointed Arsenal don't have Europa League football because I think it'd be really big for him, is Miguel Aziz. I just, again, he's another one who I was watching a bit in pre-season, just looks like he's filled out a bit, looks a bit more, you know, like he's ready for the physical side of it. And um, if Arsenal were in the Europa League, and hopefully he will play those Carabao games, he'd be someone I'd be giving minutes to over over an El Nene because um, I feel like there's a player in there. Um, just the way he sort of you know moves around the pitch, I always like, but he now looks like he's beefed up a bit. So he's the one I would be looking at this season, maybe breaking in. Balogun, obviously, we know about, um, want to see what he's doing, but... Has he beefed like, up this season? Beefing up seems to be an important factor in making the first. That's what I've. That's, yeah. Look, I've been trying to follow the same lines as them. I've been beefing <laughs> yeah, beef, beef up continuously for the past yeah. 10 I years. Mean, I mean, Owen and I should lot. have a statue outside the Emirates by now, considering how beefed up we've got. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember last summer, though? There was all those pictures going around of um, Martinelli, who, who had beefed up partly because he had his injury, so he had the time to sort of right. develop himself. And um, Saka's a bit of a different situation because he has always been physically very strong, very quick. And even at youth level, they actually was like, this guy's you like, know, could comfortably play ahead of his years, but it is a massive part of it. And um, mm. I've been rewatching the last dance documentary about the third, fourth time. <laughs> and it always, whenever I think of these young players beefing up, it always reminds me of Michael Jordan when he was getting knocked around by, you know, Detroit and he came back pumped on a bit of muscle. So um, it is a big stage of it. And I think certainly for someone like Smith Rowe, if he wants to play in that number 10, he's got to have a bit of band. But he looks, he's one of the players in preseason that's actually made me feel slightly more confident than I, than I was. No, uh, they're, they're, they're beefing up like Michael Jordan and me and Mike are beefing up like William. <laughs> we're, we're, look, Simon, I know what you're thinking. We're wearing weight fests, mate. All right. We're, we're training AF. <laughs> Yeah, we're training. Uh, I got, I got my, my diet uh, uh, protein bars here. Um, I'll, I'll be a hundred pounds lighter by the end of the this podcast. Uh, Charlie Patino, Don Juan asked what position he plays. He's a he's a defensive midfielder, central midfielder. Yeah, he's. Um, I think when he was younger, he's playing more sort of like a number ten left-footed player, but he's dropped a bit deeper now. And I think longer term, um, yeah, I think he'd play in that sort of six eight sort of role. So that's that's probably one of the the good things about keeping Jacker around is. Um, you know, as a as a role model to learn off someone who's a, he's an exceptional trainer, brilliant work ethic, uh, clearly knows a bit about the game. Um, he's probably not a bad player for Patino to learn off. And I think, you know, judging by Charles's piece, he imagine he'll be training with the first team quite a bit and then probably playing in those under-23 games. But 
yeah, he's one. Maybe in, if you know, I think the Carabao Cup draw is tonight actually, um, and Arsenal the second round should get a fairly easy tie. He's perhaps someone you could put on the bench for something like that. Um, so yeah, he's he's the one I'm excited about. Do you think that um, just mentioning the central of midfield there and and the fact that Granit Xhaka is being kept around, do you think that that could be possibly because Sambi Lakonga has maybe impressed more than than the management team thought he initially would, and they're maybe turning around and saying now, well, let's just keep Granite around for another year, and and in that year's time we get a real player on our hands because he seems like somebody who plays well ahead of his years as well. Yeah. I- I think um, the whole Xhaka one kind of got the... F- I mean, we've seen how important a part of he is of the way Arsenal play because he basically just plays every single minute under under Mikel. And I never got the sense with that 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 was Arsenal going like, right, we, we want to shift Xhaka right here, we want to move him on. It was more a case of him kind of feeling like, yeah, um, maybe want to try something new. And Arsenal saying, yeah, if we get the right money, then we'll let you go. Because, you know, at the end of the day, Arsenal could have, if they wanted to, sold Jacker for less money, couldn't they? They could have said, oh, let's just get him out the door. Let's get it done. But so they said, no, 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 that's not what he's worth and what he's worth to us. So we'll keep him. They were never really I felt under that pressure desperately to move him um, to move him on. So Which is what we've been wanting Arsenal to do for a long time. It's just this player yeah. unfortunately different. But but yeah, I mean I, we, we, I do, we wanted to set a price and if no one meets it we don't we don't we don't sell. Yeah. And and I do think with Lakonga he it's not the same as Gwendozi because Gwendozi I think there was a genuine thought that he might actually be loaned out when he came in and yeah. he was so good in pre-season. He stayed. Lukonga, I don't think he was ever going to be loaned out, but I, I do get the sense he's been better than, certainly than the fans thought and certainly the noises that were coming from Belgium. I listened to a few guys, um, sort of Belgian experts who were on a few podcasts saying, you know, this guy's very raw. You've got to be careful with him. And I still think Arsenal do. But from what I watched in the Chelsea and the Spurs games, there was enough there for me to think, yeah, I'd start you against Brentford. I would give you the nod because there's no party. I would give you the nod over on Nene and see how you go. Um, particularly if he's playing alongside like a Xhaka. I'd be a bit wary if it was, you know, Lukonga playing with El Nene. I do think someone like Xhaka being in there, experienced, tactically very astute, knows what he's doing, could be a good partnership for him. But yeah, Lukonga is another player who's given me some excitement for the uh, for the season. He seems to have this ability, not only uh, as the way I described it, is Granit Xhaka has the ability to retain the ball and then pass back. Sambi Lakonga seems to have the ability not only to retain the ball, but retain it and then make a positive situ- situation out of that ball retention. Probably much like Thomas Partey, I would actually say he seems in the scraps that he seems to come out much like Thomas Partey. So, I agree with you. I think he's massively exciting and that could be a real coup for for Arsenal in this mm. window. There was that one pass, wasn't it? I think it was the I think it was the Chelsea game for the Willett goal that never was. Where he's, <laughs> he's, uh, Lekonga got the ball and he sort of clipped it in between the, the fullback and the centre back. And that was a pass of real, real quality. And and that's sometimes where Arsenal do struggle is the transition of getting the ball forward quickly. Um I agree with you. I think Xhaka is very good at keeping the ball retention, but when he hasn't got party alongside him, uh, you know, it doesn't work as well. And I think Jack has been a bit of a victim that of all the years he's been here, we've never really found a great partner for Jacka in central midfield. I think him and party is going to be a good partnership. And it was just annoying that when we got to, you know, crunch time in the season, Jacka started playing left back um, for four or five games. That was probably an error with hindsight. Um, 
but it's that was an error with forethought. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember there was a couple of games where it worked well, and then it didn't in the first leg. It wasn't. It didn't work well in Villarreal, and that was when I thought, like, right, second leg here. Now needs to change it, and obviously then Tierney was due to start. Pulls out, and Jacka goes back in there, and it was like, oh. And then the next was it the very next game where Saka played left back and had a barnstorming game. But, and, yeah, I mean, like, why didn't we just why didn't we just do that to begin with? It's, it's mm. easy to it's easy to second guess. Yeah, um, with the few minutes that we have left, Simon, I want to I want to get your your top four, your uh, your your bottom three. And, uh, and and where Arsenal finishes if they're not in either of those two uh, groups. But I want to just point out, uh, it's been a good hour for Gooners versus Cancer. We've had a, a, a handful of donations, including one very, very generous donation. Um, we are now at $3,640. This is just for this podcast, just for this week. Um, we've got about eight or 9,000, uh, about, about 9,000 raised prior to this uh, special through the Orlando fundraiser, through, uh, through general fundraising, through our FIFA tournament that, that's uh, winding down uh, to its final stages. But just for this potathon, we're at 3,640. Thank you to Stephen Manios, uh, a friend, a, a future neighbor of mine down in Florida, uh, all around great guy, massive gooner, um, and, uh, and a very generous donation uh, from him as well. So, we're uh, we're seventy two percent away to our goal, and we're just in hour three. Uh, I'd love to just smash that goal and keep raising it uh, if we can do that. So thank you for everyone that's donated at GunnersVCancer.com. Our next drawing is going to be in just about an hour for, from now. As we go through the night, the drawings will be less frequent, and then probably for the last last twelve hours of the podcast, we're going to have a drawing every single hour for jerseys. Uh, for uh, for t-shirts and and for prints, so uh, so thank you to everybody that's donated. Um, Simon, you're uh, now now ask is saying I want that Highbury jersey. Let me clarify <laughs> the 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 Highbury prize is a commemorative t-shirt that they gave out at the last <laughs> game at Highbury against Wigan. It is not a it's not the jersey they wore that season. It's not the red current jersey. It's the shirt that they handed out to everyone that was at the game to wear, except this shirt was never taken out of the, out of the bag. So it's in, in, in excellent shape. And, and, uh, and, and it is more valuable considering where it's coming from, which if you tune in at 9 a.m. tomorrow, UK time, you'll learn more about. So um, your top four, Simon, who, who do you? Yeah. I mean, we had to do this. We, yeah. We had to do this for work uh, the other day for, for Friday's paper. I think it was. So I've gone for pleasure. And now I'm doing it for play. Yeah, so I've gone for City to be champions. Um, I've got Chelsea second, United third, Liverpool fourth. And my bottom three, I had um, Norwich, Burnley and Watford. That's my three to go down. Oh, I think what, Bang on, man. I think, I think Watford could maybe stay up. I kind of feel Burnley have just run out of lives a bit. Um, I think Dyche done a fantastic job there keeping them up so many seasons but I just wonder if it just I haven't really seen them do much this summer unless I've been missing his, going enth- on. his, his enthusiasm is gone too I think yeah. the con- conflict with the board and lack of investment I just uh, I'm not sure Daisha's heart is in it yeah and, and I think the only other one I think would be interesting they do look like they're trying to spend the money from from Ings going but is Southampton just they feel like 
Danny Ings' goals are massive. They're obviously going to lose Vestergaard as well now. If they don't spend that money right, um, they, for me, could get could get sucked into that. There, there are teams like Southampton, Palace. Uh, Newcastle, Orleans, yeah, Orleans, Palace, yeah. Where Sheffield United, uh, where, where they, they, they really kind of out, outkicked their coverage, as, as mm. the, uh, the American football phrase is. And, um, and, and they're just slowly coming back down to earth. And I think Burnley might be one of those teams that's been up for five or six years or I don't know exactly how long. That, that might be done. I think Palace might be in the same boat as both of our first two guests, Elliot and uh, and uh, Smudge, both uh, said that they might I'm be in the I'm, bottom three. I'm really surprised that nobody thinks that uh, – and do you want to know what I agree, but nobody thinks that Brantford is going to go back down. Yeah, I'm not hearing that so far. They, I don't yeah. know, they, they seem to be a team on the rise, though. I mean, mm-hmm. kind so of wrong. in the way that Palace were when they were promoted most mm. recently eight or nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Brentford, even if they did go down – I kind of feel like they'd be the best equipped to go down just because the way the club is so well run that I don't feel like if they, like they've come up this summer and they've not spent loads of money and gone crazy. They've just stuck to the plan of what they always do. You know, they recruit very well. They have primarily um, quality players on their, on their squad already though. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they've got a brilliant manager. I think Thomas Frank is, I think is a really, really top manager, very, very likable person. Um, and he, I wouldn't be surprised if, in four or five years' time, he's managing a, a big Premier League team. Mm-hmm. So, and and uh, Arsenal's finishing spot, seeing as how they're... Arsenal's finishing spot, yeah. I think they're going to finish sixth, I think. Um, I just can't see how they get in the top four. I think fifth will be uh, will be Leicester, and I think Arsenal will finish sixth. Um, and and that seems to be the, the, the consensus of our of our few, first few guests. Um Simon, you got a few more minutes. We our, our next guest is going to be Chris Wheatley. He is uh, he is on his way, I believe, uh, not yet here. Uh, do you have a few more minutes to ask, answer some questions? Yeah, yeah. All right, perfect. Um, we had a question about Thomas Muller. Now he or not Thomas Muller. Our uh, our <laughs> Muller. Uh, what's his first name? Jan Nikolai Muller. Nikolai. I don't know. <laughs> I keep wanting to call him by Jan Muller. Jan Muller. But. Uh, where where are we looking at? Uh, he's been loaned out for this season. Is that right? Yes, he's been loaned out. I think uh, I think Chris, who's on next, might even be the one who broke that story. So, um, <laughs> yes, he's been loaned out, and I think the plan is the young lad they brought in from Fulham, who scored a bucket mm-hmm. load of goals last season, is going to take his spot. Um, so I think that Mollega was signed uh, from Sweden, wasn't he? Um, mm-hmm. And they've Arsenal have got sort of two, three, you know, young strikers that they've filled in that mould. Um, I think there was quite a lot of hype around him when they when they brought him in. Certainly from Sweden, they got a decent amount of coverage over there. Um, yeah, intriguing to see how he gets on. It's in that he got he got off to a very very good start as well. Yeah. And, and even just just to sort of um, lead on from that question, Simon. When you look at some of the the strikers we are being linked with, uh, and the strikers within our ranks that maybe we haven't seen as much of, the likes of Balogun or, or Nikolai Muller or, or Tammy Abraham, say for example, that we're linked with, we see we we, we seem to lack, uh, you know, uh, an option B, like a plan B. Do you think we have anybody, or or we're linked with anybody that could provide a, a, an alternative option, alternative ways to get the ball into the back of the net than we've been seeing from, say, Lacazette and uh, Aubameyang? Well, I think that's the thing with the Abraham 
offers, and I know he's not um, he's not hugely popular among fans at Arsenal are going for him. I, I don't mind the signing of Abraham if the fee was 15, 20 million as opposed to the sort of 40 million that Chelsea have been asking, which I don't think they'll get anyway. Um, and it, it, the thing that I think Abraham, the club do like, is that he does score different types of goals. Um, you know, you can get the ball into the box of him. Uh, he can play a bit with his back to goal. He can score uh, with his feet. So he is very different to what Arsenal got. And I like the idea of signing someone in a different mould to just getting another, you know, another, you know, Aubameyang, Lacazette type player. The one I was excited about was um, was Martinez. Um, Inter age profile seemed good. Uh, liked his style of play in terms of, I think he's a mobile striker, which Abraham is mobile, but I kind of feel like an Arteta striker is wants someone who is, you know, mobile, can play with his back to goal, has got an ability to finish. That's why I do think someone like Gabriel Jesus would actually be good at good mm-hmm. at Arsenal. And obviously Arteta knows him. I don't think, I'm not saying he's a player Arsenal going to go and buy, but um, I don't think at the moment, even when Aubameyang plays through the middle, they've really got the player who suits what Arsenal want to do. I think Lacazette works sometimes because he acts as that pivot and brings players in, but I don't think he's quite quick enough or sharp enough to do exactly what Arteta wants from that from that striker. Um, so it's interesting to see, and, and there is there is a gap, isn't there? We basically mm-hmm. have, you know, Bamiang, Lacazette, who are both 30, 31, 32. Uh, and then you drop all the way down to, to Balogun. So you, you, the striker you sign for me needs to be that 23, 24 striker, because in two years' time, you're not going to have a Bamiang, Lacazette. You hopefully mm-hmm. have Balogun at 21, 22, who's, you know, can be one of your contenders, but you're going to need that main guy to be your, your number nine. Mm-hmm. I can't thank you enough, Simon, for uh, for for your help, your 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 excellent read of of our uh, of our promotional video, which has now been, uh, been tweeted out. Um, sorry, we didn't use more of it, but we had to fit a lot in, and 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 for your support uh, always with our efforts, both as a podcast and and as a charity. And um, as it is now entering hour four, uh, we're excited to, to welcome on our next guest, and we're going to say goodbye to you, Simon. So thanks again. I think the uh, the the uh, the League Cup draw is getting ready to start, so uh, so enjoy that. We'll find out who Arsenal <laughs> are playing in our first round two in a long time, and uh, and and where else can we find you, Simon? To let us know uh, Evening Standard and and SR yes. underscore yes, I'm um, SR underscore Collings on Twitter. Um, yes, yeah, standard.co.uk slash sport for uh, all my writings. Just wanted to say, brilliant effort from you guys. Um, I mean, incredible amount of money that's already been raised, and. I mean, I'm I'm blowing after doing an hour of this, so you guys <laughs> putting in the full stint is an incredible effort. But yeah, keep well, up the good no work. Not. I I am, but he, he's not. Man, you not. keep getting no weird. Sorry, I'm sorry to. I know you're on a roll there, Mike. All right, but you're getting so much fucking love in that chat and from guests <laughs> and everybody. What am I invisible? <laughs> oh, and, and, and people, don't, people don't know how much Owen actually does for the. I mean, he he's the first person that came to me and said, "I've got an idea. You don't have to do anything." We're we're going to do a football match here in Northern Ireland and and raise some money and raised a boatload of money for us last year. So Owen, both on and off the podcast, uh, deserves some love. So chat, give him some love. And Simon, <laughs> thanks again for joining us, buddy. I appreciate it. Have a Thank good you one, guys. Top stuff. Thank All you. Right, Cheers, care. Simon.